When Levin went into the restaurant with Oblonsky, he could not help noticing a certain peculiarity of expression, as it were, a restrained radiance about the face and whole figure of Stepan Arkadyevich. Oblonsky took off his overcoat and with his head over one year walked into the dining room, giving directions to the Tatar waiters who were clustered about him in evening coats, bearing napkins. Bowing to right and left to the people he met, and here is everywhere joyously greeting acquaintances, he went up to the sideboard for a preliminary appetizer of fish and vodka, and said to the painted Frenchwoman decked in ribbons, lace and ringlets behind the counter, something so amusing that even that Frenchwoman was moved to genuine laughter. Levin, for his part, refrained from taking any vodka, simply because he felt such a loathing of that Frenchwoman, all made up, it seemed, of false hair, poudre de riz, and vinaigre de toilette. He made haste to move away from her as from a dirty place. His whole soul was filled with memories of Kitty, and there was a smile of triumph and happiness shining in his eyes. This way, Your Excellency, please. Your Excellency will not be disturbed here said the particularly pretentious, white-headed old Tatar with immense hips and coattails gaping widely behind. Walk in, your excellency, he said to Levin, by way of showing his respect to Stepan Arkadyevich, being attentive to his guest as well. Instantly flinging fresh cloth over the round table under the bronze chandelier, though it already had a tablecloth on it, he pushed up a velvet chairs and came to a standstill before Stepan Arkadyevich with a napkin and a bill of fare in his hands awaiting his commands. If you prefer it, Your Excellency, a private room will be free directly. Prince Galitsyn with a lady. Fresh oysters have come in. Oh, oysters! Stepan Arkadyevich became thoughtful. How if we were to change our program, Levin? he said, keeping his finger on the bill of fare, and his face expressed serious hesitation. Are the oysters any good? You mind now? They're Flensburg, Your Excellency. We have no Ostend. Flensburg will do. But are they fresh? Only arrived yesterday. Well then, how if we were to begin with oysters, and so change the whole program? Huh? It's all the same to me. I should like cabbage soup and porridge better than anything. But of course, there is nothing like that here. Porridge a la Russe, your honor would like, said the Tatar bending down to Levin, like a nurse, speaking to a child. No, joking apart, whatever you choose is sure to be good. I've been skating, and I am hungry. And don't imagine, he added, detecting a look of dissatisfaction on Oblonsky's face, that I shan't appreciate your choice. I am fond of good things. I should hope so. After all, it's one of the pleasures of life, said Stepan Arkadyevich. Well then, my friend, you give us two, or better say three, dozen oysters, clear soup with vegetables. Print and here, prompted the Tatar, but Stepan Arkadyevich apparently did not care to allow him the satisfaction of giving the French names of the dishes, with vegetables in it, you know. Then turbot with thick sauce, then roast beef, and mind, it is good. Yes, and capons, perhaps, and then sweets. The Tatar, recollecting that it was Stepan Arkadyevich's way not to call the dishes by the names in the French bill of fare, 
did not repeat them after him, but could not resist rehearsing the whole menu to himself according to the bill. And then instantly, as though worked by springs, laying down one bound bill of fare, he took up another, the list of wines, and submitted it to Stepan Arkadyevich. What shall we drink? What you like, only not too much. Champagne, said Levin. What? To start with champagne. You're right, though, I dare say. Do you like the white seal? Cache blanc, prompted the Tatar. Very well, then. Give us that brand with oysters, and then we will see. Yes, sir. And what table wine? You can give us news. No, better than classic Chablot. Yes, sir. And your cheese, your excellency. Yes, parmesan. Or would you like another? No, it's all the same to me, said Levin, unable to suppress a smile. And the Tatar ran off with flying coat tails, and in five minutes darted in with a dish of opened oysters, a mother of pearl shells, and a bottle between his fingers. Stepan Arkadyevich crushed the starched napkin, tucked it into his waistcoat, and settling his arms comfortably, started on the oysters. Not bad, he said, stripping the oysters from the pearly shell with a silver fork, and swallowing them one after another. Not bad, he repeated turning his dewy, brilliant eyes from Levin to the Tata. Levin ate the oysters indeed, though white bread and cheese would have pleased him better, but he was admiring Oblonsky. Even the Tatar, uncorking the bottle and pouring the sparkling wine into the delicate glasses, glanced at Stepan Arkadyevich and settled his white cravat with a perceptible smile of satisfaction. You don't care much for oysters, do you? said Stepan Arkadyevich, emptying his wine glass. Were you worried about something, huh? He wanted Levin to be in good spirits. But it was not that Levin was not in good spirits. He was ill at ease. With what he had in his soul, he felt sore and uncomfortable in the restaurant, in the midst of private rooms, where men were dining with ladies, in all this fuss and bustle. The surroundings of bronzes, looking-glasses, gas and waiters, all of it was offensive to him. He was afraid of selling what his soul was brimful of. I? Yes, I am. But, besides, all this bothers me, he said. You can't conceive how queer it all seems to a country person like me, as queer as that gentleman nails I saw at your place. Yes, I saw how much interested you were in Burgrinevich's nails, said Stepan Arkadyevich, laughing. It is too much for me, responded Levin. Do try. Now, and put yourself in my place. Take the point of view of a country person. We in the country try to bring our hands into such a state as will be most convenient for working with. So we cut our nails. Sometimes we turn up our sleeves. And here people purposely let their nails grow as long as they will, and lean on small sources by way of studs so that they can do nothing with their hands. Stepan Arkadyevich smiled gaily. Oh yes, that is just a sign that he has no need to do co-art work. His work is with the mind. Maybe, but still, it is queer to me. Just as at this moment it seems queer to me that we, country folks, try to get our meals over as soon as we can, so as to be ready for our work while here are we trying to drag out our meal as long as possible and with that object eating oysters. Why, of course, objected Stepan Arkadyevich, but that's just the aim of civilization, to make everything a source of enjoyment. Well, if that's the aim, I'd rather be a savage. 
And so you are. All you Lovins are savages. Levin signed. He remembered his brother Nikolai and felt ashamed and sore, and he scowled, but Oblonsky began speaking of a subject which at once drew his attention. Oh, I say, are you going tonight to our people? Shcherbatskys, I mean. He said, his eyes sparkling significantly as he pushed away the empty rough shells and drew the cheese towards him. Yes, I shall certainly go, replied Levin, though I fancy the princess wasn't very warm in her invitation. What nonsense! That is her manner. That's grand dame, said Stepan Arkadyevich. I'm coming too, but I have to go to the Countess Bonina's rehearsals. Come, isn't it true that you are savage? How do you explain the sudden way in which you vanished from Moscow? The Sherbaskis were continually asking me about you, as though I ought to know. The only thing I know is that you always do what no one else does. Yes, said Levin slowly and with emotion. You're right. I am a savage. Only my savageness is not in having gone away, but in coming now. Now I have come. Oh, what a lucky fellow you are, broke in Stepan Arkadyevich, looking into Levin's eyes. Why? I know a gallant steed by tokens, sure, and by his eyes I know youth and love, declaimed Stepan Arkadyevich. Everything is before you. Why, is it over for you already? No, not over exactly, but the future is yours, and the present is mine, and the present, well, it's not all that it might be. How so? Oh, things go wrong, but I don't want to talk of myself, and besides, I can't explain it all, said Stepan Arkadyevich. Well, why have you come to Moscow, then? Hi, take it away, he called to the Tatar. You guess, responded Levin, his eyes like deep wells of light fixed on Stepan Arkadyevich. I guess, but I can't be the first to talk about it. You can see by that whether I guess right or wrong, said Stepan Arkadyevich, gazing at Levin with a subtle smile. Well, and what have you to say to me? said Levin in a quivering voice, feeling that all the muscles of his face were quivering too. How do you look at the question? Stepan Arkadyevich slowly emptied his glass of chavre, never taking his eyes off Levin. I, said Stepan Arkadyevich, there is nothing I desire so much as that. Nothing. It would be the best thing that could be. But you're not making a mistake. You know what we're speaking of, said Levin, piercing him with his eyes. Do you think it is possible? I think it is possible. Why not? Now, do you really think it is possible? Tell me all you think. But if refusal is in store for me, indeed I feel sure. Why should you think that? said Stepan Arkadyevich, smiling at his excitement. It seems so to me sometimes. That will be awful for me and for her too. Well, anyway, there is nothing awful in it for a girl. Every girl's proud of an offer. Yes, every girl, but not her. Stepan Arkadyevich smiled. He so well knew that feeling of lavish that for him all the girls in the world were divided into two classes, one class all the girls in the world except her, and those girls with all sorts of human weakness, and a very ordinary girls, the other class, she alone, having no weaknesses of any sort and higher than all humanity. Stay, take some sauce, he said, holding back Levin's hand as it pushed away the sauce. Levin obediently helped himself to sauce, but would not let Stepan Arkadyevich go on with his dinner. Stop a minute, he said. You must understand that it's a question of life and death to me. I've never spoken to anyone of this, and... There is no one I could speak of it to except you. You know, 
we are utterly unlike each other. Different tastes and views and everything, but I know you're fond of me and understand me, and that's why I like you awfully. But for God's sake, be quite straightforward with me. I'll tell you what I think, said Stepan Arkadyevich, smiling. But I will say more. My wife is a wonderful woman, Stepan Arkadyevich sighed, remembering his position with his wife, and after a moment's silence resumed, she has a gift of foreseeing things. She sees right through people, but that is not all. She knows what will come to pass, especially in the way of marriages. She foretold, for instance, that Princess Sherbaska would marry Brentlin. No one would believe it, but it came to pass, and she's on your side. How do you mean? It's not only that she likes you. She says that Kitty is certain to be your wife. At these words, Levin's face suddenly lighted up with a smile, a smile not far from tears of emotion. She says that, cried Levin. I always said she was exquisite, your wife. There, that's enough. Enough said about it, he said, getting up from his seat. All right, do sit down. But Levin could not sit down. He walked with his firm tread, twice up and down the little cage of the room, blinked his eyelids that his tears might not fall, and only then sat down to the table. You must understand, said he, it's not love. I've been in love, but it's not that. It's not my feeling. But sort of force outside me has taken possession. I went away because I made up my mind that it could never be, you understand? As a happiness that does not come on earth, but I have struggled with myself. I see there is no living without it, and it must be settled. What did you go away for? Oh, stop a minute. The thoughts that come crowding on one, the question one must ask oneself. Listen, you can't imagine what you have done for me by what you said. I'm so happy that I have become positively hateful. I have forgotten everything. I heard today that my brother Nikolai, you know, is here. I had even forgotten him. It seems to me that he's happy too. It's a sort of a madness, but one thing is awful. Here you have been married, you know the feeling. It's awful that we old with the past, not of love, but of things, are brought all at once so near to a creature pure and innocent. It's loathsome. And that's why one can't help feeling oneself unworthy. Well, you have not many sins on your conscience. Alas, all the same, said Levin. When with loathing I go over my life, I shudder and curse and bitterly regret it. Yes. What would you have? The world is made so, said Stepan Arkadyevich. The one comfort is like that prayer, which I always liked. Forgive me not according to my unworthiness, but according to thy loving kindness. That is the only way she can forgive me.